Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. Hey everyone, this is Last Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and in this week's episode, we're talking about your preseason-bound Detroit Pistons. Ben Golker and I talk about some interesting quotes from Media Day, Cade Cunningham's very mild ankle tweak, and what we're curious about seeing out of the team this preseason. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to have the conversation that we want to have around the podcast. In order to do that, though, you have to follow DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing, because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson. Pleased, as always, to be joined by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. What's up, Ben? Laz, happy fall. It's officially here. College football season in full swing. And the preseason, days away. So I'm pretty excited. How are you doing, man? I'm doing, I'm doing good. Literal days away. It feels like the preseason kind of snuck up on us. Uh, well, maybe it snuck up on me and not you. But it snuck up. <laughs> Kids on have me. a way of doing that. <laughs> yeah, really, throwing off the schedule. But I'm very excited, right? I don't know how we're going to work it out logistically, but I'm very excited to uh, just get the preseason started. But first, media day did happen in the past, so I guess we should talk about that. Um, there's a lot of people said a lot of stuff during media day, which normally happens. But I pulled out some of the juicy quotes I want to to get your thoughts on Ben. First big juicy quote is from Troy Weaver. He said, if there were 10 players on the roster I really, I really liked, they would have stayed when he was asked about uh, his uh, reshaping of the roster in a year period. So, Ben, what do you think of Troy Weaver saying that uh, all the dudes that uh, when he got here sucked? <laughs> that's basically what he said, right? Like, <laughs> right. That's as close as you're going to get <laughs> to an NBA executive going on the record and saying, hey, Everybody sucks. So, uh, yeah, surprising. But also, you know, I kind of appreciate it. I mean, it was fairly apparent, right, based on what he was actually doing, that he didn't love what he inherited. And he moved very, very quickly. Um, I mean, look, look at the rebuilds that have happened around the NBA in the last 10, 20 years. Like, it's pretty rare to see someone attack a roster the way he did. So, uh, yeah, I mean, on the face value, a little bit shocking, but I think if you paid attention to what he did over the past, you know, year plus, um, it was nice to just hear him come out and say it, I think. Yeah, I, I think this is also uh, just another example of what we've talked about in the past, which is that Troy Weaver like really values his guys and talent over uh, asset management. And so, like, yes, it was 
perhaps not the the best use of assets. Perhaps you you know could have gotten more for Luke Kennard. Perhaps you you know could have done a better job of like signing trading Christian Wood to you know get something back that way or done some other you know creative accounting stuff. But uh, no, what matters most to Troy Weaver is that he gets some dudes that he likes on the roster. Uh-huh. <laughs> so that kind of just is what it is. All right, Ben. Next quote comes from Dwayne Casey on Jeremy Grant. He's going to be a high usage guy for us. He's going to be our primary scorer and go-to scorer. So Ben, with Cade Cunningham on the roster, Jeremy Grant's still going to be the primary guy. How do you feel about that? Not surprised, actually. Um, I think Jeremy Grant proved he can be a 20-plus per game scorer, obviously, a season ago. And some of that is the function of the fact that the rest of the roster really struggled to score the ball, especially through individual playmaking shot creation. So, you know, maybe he's not a 23-point-per-game scorer again this season because he's got a little more help. But, look, I think it's good. I think it lets Cade Cunningham be patient. And, and based on the quotes he had and the, the things that he had to say on media day, I think Cade Cunningham is going to be okay with that too. Uh, we saw that from Cade in, in summer league. At least that was my impression. He was very patient and willing to let other people, um, you know, get involved, especially on offense. And I, I think that takes a little bit of the pressure off him. If he knows that he's got an established scorer uh, that can that carry some of that weight. So that doesn't surprise me. Um, and I, I think ultimately is probably a good thing for Kate in his rookie season. Yeah, I think I think it's interesting that you mentioned what Kate had to say about his own game during media day, and I think it's interesting that the Pistons are making a really concerted effort not to put too much on Kate's plate uh, at the outset of the season. You know, maybe we find out uh, you know we're twenty games into the season and Kate's just dominant and it is what it is and we go from there. But it seems like they're really willing to to take this slow and see, uh, you know, what kind of usage usage he can shoulder uh, instead of trying to put like too much on his plate right away. Um, you know, differing schools of thought on whether or not that's the best way to handle uh, the number one overall pick and a guy you brought in to kind of be the face of your franchise and lead your team uh, into the promised land. But uh, I do think it's interesting in that uh, it warrants, you know closer uh eye and like we're we're gonna talk about preseason games later so i don't want people to be surprised uh when we, we're seeing these quotes we're hearing k talk about his game i don't want people to be surprised when Kate like doesn't score 30 in the preseason right like that's the it doesn't seem like that's the way it's going to run at the beginning uh, of the season at least okay. okay ben last quote um i'm very confident in killian he came back in september a different kid he did a good job in his individual workouts. That's Dwayne Casey talking about Killian Hayes. Um, there was a lot more. Uh, There's a lot more effusive praise from Killian from uh, other sources. You know, Sadiq Bay had some good things to say about him. Kate said some nice stuff about him. Dwayne had some more quotes about Killian. Uh, what did you think of the Pistons' effort to uh, make Killian sound like he'd been really doing really good uh, in the first week of uh, training camp? Ben? <laughs> well. It's a good question because the question is how much of this is PR and how much of yeah. this is what's really happening on the court. Um, I'll say this. If, if that is all true, and I don't, I don't think Dwayne Casey is the type of coach to come out and say something that's just flat out untrue. Um, you know, everybody who's a professional knows that you need to frame things certain ways sometimes, but I, I just don't see that Dwayne Casey is the kind of 
person or coach who would just, you know, misrepresent what's going on completely. Um, so I'm going to assume that that some of that is actually happening and that makes me extremely happy. I talked about this a week ago, Laz. I wasn't terribly impressed with Killian in summer league. It felt like he was still kind of the same guy. We talked about the fact that there was, you know, not a lot of time between the end of the season and summer league, et cetera. But, you know, to hear that, whether it's his approach, whether it's his skills, whether it's his work ethic, uh, clearly the coaching staff has noticed some sort of tangible, actual improvement in Killian. And that's exciting to me uh, because he's clearly got a long way to go. Um, look, and his work ethic and dedication to getting better in the offseason is the time where I think he's going to make the, the most significant gains. So that, I think, is a really positive thing to hear uh, going into the preseason coming out of training camp. No, definitely. I, I agree with you that Dwayne Casey is not the kind of guy to just say stuff if it's not happening. Um, at the same time, like I, I want to see it against uh, other people who are not his teammates for now. Um, you know, Killian talked about how the, 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 the he's finally starting to catch up like mentally with the speed of the game, um, being around uh, the guys since uh, since the season ended, getting to know uh, his teammates' tendencies and how that was important for him. Um, I would like to see if, uh, you know, if he's learning his teammates' tendencies, he's also, you know, learned to exploit their weaknesses. Has he learned to exploit the weaknesses of guys he's not as familiar with? You know, we'll get a pretty early look at this in preseason. Um, but yeah, I, I remain cautiously optimistic, and I hope it's not uh, I hope it's not just like Killian knows everybody on the Pistons really well and uh, still struggles with uh, other NBA players. All right, Ben, that's the end of the quotes the schedule for the preseason the first preseason game is october 6th against san antonio we got uh the memphis grizzlies on the 11th the knicks on the 13th and philadelphia on the 15th what are you looking out for what are you hoping to see in the preseason uh ben well, I think the thing I am most interested in, the number one thing, is the interaction between Jeremy Grant and Cade Cunningham and what that dynamic looks like on the court. We obviously had, didn't see a whole lot of Cade in Summer League, right? I mean, we only got to see, I think, two games, something like that, out of Summer League. So we haven't seen a whole lot of him, and we obviously haven't seen him and Jeremy together, especially with this mindset that Jeremy remains the sort of focal point of the offense. Um, you know, that makes sense to me in theory, but let's see it on the court. Let's see how that plays out. Let's see how those two adapt to each other and then i think second thing um you know preseason is a time to experiment obviously when you don't have your starters out there you don't have your normal second group out there you're experimenting and tinkering with rotations and plays and and giving guys a few looks who maybe have a shot at making it but aren't quite there so i'm curious to see how those those sort of funky unexpected rotations shake out because to me and maybe we'll talk about this lads it's not crystal clear like who that second group should be yet and who, who the fringe guys of the second unit are. So I'm, I'm curious to see how that plays out in preseason. I think it'll give us a window into what Dwayne Casey's thinking about for the, the full regular season. No, I, yeah, the, the rotations I think are, are the big thing. Not only do you want to see who starts and who comes off the bench, you want to see if there's any like through lines, if there's any logic uh, not to say that what they're going to do is illogical, but you want to try and see like what the logic of what they're going to try and do uh, with these lineups moving forward is, right? We got a little bit of discussion about, you know, Hamadou Diallo and Josh Jackson uh, both playing uh, off the bench at the same time because Dwayne likes what they bring defensively. It's like, well, that kind of also limits what you're able to do offensively. And it 
um, you know, and it pointed to, you know, maybe Frank Jackson is a guy that finds his way uh, out of the rotation despite a really strong uh, year last year. Um, I'm curious to see how they handle. I'm curious to see if Cade plays any like nominal point guard. It seems like the starting lineup is going to be Cade and Killian in the backcourt to start the preseason. I'm curious to see if they let Cade play uh, pure point without any other, uh, without like a Corey Joseph or a Saban Lee or a Killian uh, next to him on the floor. Um, like maybe they do it. It doesn't sound like that's something they've like really tried all that much in training camp. Um, so like, yeah, that's, that's what I'll be curious about is, uh, is how much they entrust Cade Cunningham with the ball um, at the start of the preseason. Uh, what do you think the starting lineup's going to be, Ben? We got a quote from Dwayne Casey about how there's going to be more experience in the second unit than the starting unit. Uh, so I think, what do, you, what do you think that points to? Because I think we both think it points to the same thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it, it speaks to the young guys, right? It, you're throwing Caden Killian out there, and you're saying, hey, you're two talented players. Figure out how to play together, right? Uh, so I think that is probably your starting backcourt. And then I think um, it also points to Isaiah Stewart uh, starting, which I think would, in my opinion, he earned it. I think he's the most logical uh, five-man to start. And then I think you probably throw... Uh, Jeremy and Sadiq into those forward uh, slots. And you, I think you have a little bit of versatility between those two because Sadiq, I think, plays stronger and bigger than his height suggests. So to me, that looks like the five you're at least starting with. Um, it, it's kind of what I would have thought a week ago and think probably even more so after hearing some of that talk from Casey. Yeah, I... I was thinking more Isaiah Stewart starting kind of without the the worry of Kelly Olynyk getting into the starting lineup more than I was thinking about the backcourt of Caden Killian. It seems like they have really established like that's going to be the backcourt. We don't have to um, think about that as much. But uh, yeah, Isaiah Stewart starting is what I I inferred from that quote, and that's something I'm I'm curious about. Right uh, with a lineup of like Stewart Grant Bay. Cade Killian, uh, like that's a lot of rebounding that uh, doesn't necessarily like have to come from your front court. So I think that'll be an important part of what they're able to do uh, defensively. Um, I think that we we talked. They talked about uh, the split between not like how often they want their bigs to roll and how often they want their bigs to pop. And uh, you know Isaiah Stewart shooting a lot of threes. Uh, hopefully in the preseason would be something we we'd like to see. And it's something that I think he would have to do in order to make that lineup really work. I know Ben, you've, you've talked about how you don't want him shooting, you know, like eight threes because you want what he brings on the offensive glass. Um, but, and I agree with that, but I think that, that uh, we're going to have to see how that balance gets uh, striked struck, how, how they strike that balance uh, in the preseason. And then uh, if that's going to be the starting lineup, that makes me curious about, like, so we got Corey Joseph, Frank Jackson, Hami, Josh Jackson, um, like, and Kelly Olenek. So how do they make uh, that, like, final 3-4 spot in the backcourt or in the, uh, the frontcourt work coming off the bench? Like, is that Trey Lyles? Are we going to try some Josh Jackson at the 4? Uh, it's just... It's a, it's a lot of uh, it's a lot of things to ponder uh, prior to the preseason game 
on uh, Wednesday. Yeah, I think the preseason game is on Wednesday. This is Advertiser Content, brought to you by Frito-Lay. Hello, I'm Chip Murphy, here to get you ready for the big tournament. Tonight we'll break down... We break down who will be cutting... Cut! What are you two doing? Sorry, Chip. Prez here got his feathers ruffled when I told him Ruffles has zero chance of winning the title. And I was letting Dip know that she is not taking into account Ruffles' iconic ridges. Guys, it's March. We have to start talking about the tournament. We are. It is the 2023 Frito-Lay Snackin'. We're talking about big-time matchups between Cheetos, Smart Food, Lay's, Sun Chips, and more. Just head to the Frito-Lay Snack Bracket and vote for your favorite chip, pretzel, or dip for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. This sounds great. Keep up the good work. Just go to frito No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends 4-3-2023. Void wherever hidden. Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. What do you think they, with that starting lineup and of Isaiah Stewart and starting lineup, what kind of defensive coverages do you think they try and play to start the year? Do you think they start out in like a drop coverage with, uh, with Stewart kind of playing... Uh, to protect the rim? Do you think they try something a little bit more aggressive because Stewart is a little bit more mobile on defense than uh, most uh, big centers? Do you think we see um, any type of, you know, uh, like, think they, you think they uh, use Jeremy Grant's ability to be disruptive on, like, the weak side as a reason to, like, hedge really hard or try and, like, uh, string out ball handlers? Like, what do you, what do you think – that starting lineup looks like defensively. Yeah, I, so I think there's a few things I'm I'm really excited about, and then there's some things I'm not 100% sure of yet. Uh, starting with, I think, Killian and Cade, I, I really am intrigued by the potential of those two guys defensively. Uh, you know, Killian was so far ahead defensively. That was obviously the thing that just sort of leaped off the tape if you were watching him, right? Like a young point guard able to just get up and crowd it and play really smart defense. So I think... They potentially have two really strong defenders um, at a position that's been incredibly weak for the Pistons defensively over the past decade plus. I mean, it just so many seasons of point guards just getting roasted, uh, right? And then that creates all sorts of problems when you don't have really dynamic, big shot blocking and guys who can rotate outside. So I'm excited about the ability to limit penetration from the one and two spots. Um, I'm interested in... Jeremy Grant's defense, because I think some of his comments were intriguing to me as well on media day. He talked about working on his body um, Mm -hmm. to primarily talked about that offensively, but I I also think there's a potential payoff there defensively as well, because I feel like uh, last season, as we talked about at length, all of that offense he was carrying, um, you know, I think limited his ability to, to do what he had been known for, which is to be really disruptive defensively. So if he's made improvements to his body and his stamina, uh, I'm, I hope they can utilize him as more of a disruptive presence, whether that's weak side stuff like you're talking about or something like that. And then I think, um, you know, Isaiah Stewart, like where is his lateral quickness at? I think the knock one of the big knocks on him coming out of college was his foot speed, especially side to side. I, I think he was better than a lot of people expected. And I, I don't think he's necessarily, um, you know, reached his ceiling in that regard. So 
it, it would be nice if his quickness is such that he can pressure a little bit and they don't have to play drop coverage all the time because I, th- I think especially in the pick and roll that can make you very predictable and exploitable. Uh, it would be nice if his quickness is such that they can um, at, at least mix it up. So defensively, that's what I'm kind of hoping for, um, not just drop coverage all the time, although I think you know likely they do some of that um, at least to start uh, to kind of assess Stewart's mobility against, you know, we'll see him play against some traditional bigs. And if he's in the starting lineup, he'll be playing against, uh, you know, the best big men that the NBA has to offer. So, so that's a test he hasn't necessarily faced for an entire season yet. Yeah. I think I I wondered if they'd stick with the drop just because, you know, philosophically Dwayne wants to limit the amount of threes the other team gets to take. And uh, one of the simplest ways to do that. Um, is to just kind of like stay and drop, tell your guys to stay home and just uh, let the let the pick and roll ball handlers kind of determine what kind of uh, shot that they're trying to ease the pick and roll ball handlers into uh, mid-range jumpers as opposed to, you know, letting somebody like snake the pick and roll, um, you know, exploit hedges and, and kick out to open shooters. And when you have a young team, you want the concepts to be simple on defense so that uh, – they a like remember the scheme and and b um, can execute it consistently, and so I was, but at the same time, like you talked about uh, Isaiah's foot speed, you talked about Jeremy's stamina. Um, this team has the personnel, I think, in the starting lineup to do a lot of interesting things uh, defensively, and so I wondered if they'd be a little bit more creative, just because. Um, you know, between between like Kate Sadiq and Jeremy, right? They have the size in the front court, and um, between like you know uh, Sadiq and Jeremy, they have the um, like the the on ball stoutness that this team has kind of like lacked from uh, from their bigger front court players in the past. And so I, I I'm very curious to see how that how the the extra personnel. Uh, influences like the defensive decisions that they end up making. I want to see if they're still committed to that philosophy of, you know, never giving up or giving up as few three pointers as possible. um, Even if they have the defensive personnel to do something a little bit different. Now, now offensively, Ben, uh, you know, we've, we've critiqued Dwayne Casey for his lack of uh, offensive uh, ingenuity, I'll say. He had some really interesting, like out of sideline, out of bounds stuff the the first year, but he has tended to just uh, put the ball in his best player's hands and say, like, go get it. Um, what do you think, if anything, we see out of uh, the Pistons, like strategically or, philosoph- uh, or philosophically, uh, offensively in the preseason? Man, pre- there's just so many moving parts, right? Um, Obviously, you throw Kate into the mix. And I think you have to think about Killian that way, too, because we saw just such a limited amount of him in his rookie season. Um, so I, I think I expect some experimenting. Um, you know, we talk about Jeremy Grant as potentially the focal point of the offense. Uh, one of the things I like about Jeremy's game offensively is I, I think he's at his best when he's not in a dribble isolation, but going from movement to a couple dribbles and and finishing at the rim, right? So um, one of the things that was challenging for him a season ago after Blake Griffin left was defenses just got smart to that, and the Pistons simply didn't have enough 
weapons to to do much to to adapt to that focus on Jeremy Grant. I don't think that's going to be the case this year. I think you've got uh, Coach Casey talked about two primarily excuse me two primary ball handlers in Cade and Killian. So I, I think what I expect to see is a lot of those two guys initiating offensive sets that are designed to get Jeremy the the ball in positions that are fortuitous to him, right? Where he can use his length, his quickness, especially if he's matched up against guys who are a little slower. Um, So I I expect that to be a bit of a change from a season ago. I expect Killian to have the ball more. I expect Cade to have the ball more in terms of initiating the sets. And then Jeremy being the kind of the primary option, but not the guy who's initiating it. And, And I think that's really where Jeremy struggled most a season ago. Uh, when when he's five or six or seven dribbles to get a shot, mm-hmm. I don't think that's when he's at his best. I think he's just at his best when he's coming off from some screens, catches the ball in motion, and then just just attacks right away. Right, so that that's what I'm expecting. That's what I'm hoping for. And I think you know the versatility that some of those other guys give you. You've got Sadiq and Stewart potentially stretching the floor. You've got two young. Uh, ball handlers who both have already shown they can get to the rim. You know, Killian's challenge wasn't getting to the rim. It was finishing and finding contact and getting the free throw line, that kind of stuff. So uh, I expect a lot more dynamism and versatility uh, to what we saw after the Blake Griffin uh, trade a season ago. Yeah. I also expect things to be a little bit more dynamic with Cade and Killian. I think your example of, you know, Cade or Killian bringing the ball up the court to initiate the action, but the set is actually for Jeremy Grant as something I think we will see definitely like a lot of. My, I remain curious as to how like some of that secondary stuff is going to go, right? If we're, if we're talking about that action, for example, um, you know, we both questioned Jeremy's ability to kind of, we've, we've wanted more out of Jeremy from a playmaking uh, perspective. And so, you know, if that initial action for Jeremy doesn't work, it's like, what's kind of the secondary thing the Pistons are trying, are going to try for, right? With four, with one rookie and three second year players in the starting lineup, um, there are going to be times when initial sets like don't work. And I want to see how the kids handle that. Like last year, right? The when stuff didn't work, that was when, that was a lot of when Mason Plumley's value came into play, right? <laughs> That's you'd, right. You'd give the ball to Mason uh, at like 18 feet, some stuff would happen, and then like a DHO with Wayne Ellington would magically appear, and you'd end up with like a half-decent thing out of it. Without that security blanket, uh, I wonder what the the call for that is going to be. My initial thought is that it's going to be you know, Cade and Jeremy in isolation. And I think Cade's going to end up being like a, a better isolation player than Jeremy. We, you know, you talked about that getting Jeremy six dribbles into a shot is not exactly where we want him to be. Um, you, you know, Cade was one of the most efficient uh, isolation players in college basketball last year. And so that's not, it's not a bad thing, right. To just kind of kick the ball out to Cade with seven seconds left on the clock and say like, go, go see what happens. But that is also kind of like not in the spirit of what we were talking about earlier, where the Pistons are trying to take stuff off of his plate. And so I hope they have some uh, some like secondary and tertiary like actions and stuff kind of like planned for that eventuality, because it's going to that's going to be hard on Cade if uh, Jeremy's, you know, running into brick walls uh, all season and we're, we're putting a lot on his plate. 
uh, to go. Oh, speaking of Cade, something I uh, initially missed in our rundown, Ben, was that uh, apparently he's like very lightly, he had a very mild ankle injury uh, in training camp. You know, obviously, this is a five alarm fire. I should have led with this at the top of the podcast. No, but for real, Ben, uh, how are you worried at all about Cade Cunningham's very mild ankle injury? Only if he's not playing come, what is it, Wednesday? Is that the sixth? Yeah, Wednesday. Only if he's not playing or limited. That would be the only reason I'm being, I would be at all concerned about it. Yeah, yeah, me too. Um, it's weird because, like, angles normally translate to flexibility and explosiveness. And Cade's not, like, known for his explosiveness. So I think if anybody, like, could sustain an ankle injury and, like, it's not that big a deal is probably him. But at the same time, like... I wouldn't be surprised if they babied him a little with the injury just because like we've talked about, um, they are not asking that much of him and it is the preseason. They got 82 regular season games to get through. Um, if he, you know, only plays 15 minutes against the Spurs on Wednesday, it's not going to be the end of the world. Am I, you know, it would not be what I want from a viewing fan guy on the couch perspective, but you know, I could see why the team uh, would have some interest in doing that. Well, and I think too, it, it would not surprise me at all. If you see um, the starting unit kind of get the first quarter burn, the third quarter burn to start and then sit a lot, that would not surprise me at all, especially because I think a lot of the question marks for this team are on the, the back end of the rotation, right? Like is Luca Garza going to be able to play against NBA bigs? Like is, is Trey Lyles, you know, worth, you know, worth (laughs) whatever he ends up being like, is he your 12th guy? Is he your ninth guy? Like those are important questions, I think. And I think they're a lot more unclear than like, okay, who are my top eight guys? Right. Like, I think we know that. So. No, that's, that's totally fair. All right, Ben. Um, Speaking of like kind of the the back of the rotation, um, I wanted to hit you with some over unders and some odds from FanDuel before uh, we got into the preseason. Um, I know sports gambling is legal in Michigan. I, being in North Carolina, cannot sports gamble, which kind of makes me sad during the season. I see everybody like kind of posting uh, their uh, their wagers and stuff, and it's like, oh, I would kind of like to do that. Um, <laughs> And I'm using FanDuel odds because that's the sports book at Motor City, which is the casino I like the most downtown. Um, I like Greektown the least, which should be self-explanatory if you have ever been to Greektown. Um, and MGM is like uh, aggressively pretty fine. It's 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 whatever. But uh, yeah, I, I've played around with the idea of like giving us like a fake budget. But like <laughs> I I honestly didn't feel like tracking that. And uh, some of you guys are probably going to make these bets. So you're like, you can let us know like how much you win uh, off of the strength of some of these things. Uh, but to get started, Ben, um, right now, Cade is plus 250 on FanDuel to win Rookie of the Year. He has the top odds among rookies. And Jalen Green is at plus 270 to kind of give you an idea of where uh, the other candidates for Rookie of the Year are at. Do you think that's a good bet, Ben? <laughs> This one is really hard for me. Um, the reason it's hard is because what we've seen out of Cade in Summer League, what we heard out of Cade and Casey on Media Day, 
um, what I expect that we will see in the preseason. And at least the first somewhat sizable chunk of the regular season is Cade easing his way in um, to whatever his role is going to become, right? And when you look at rookie of the year, historically, almost always, almost always, it is the guy who scores the most points per game. And when I look at where the Pistons are at and when I look at where the Rockets are at, like it would not surprise me at all for Jalen Green to score more points, but Cade to have the more complete season. And so my personal evaluation, I tend to prefer the guys who are more complete players as to the guy who scores, you know, 25 points on 25 shots. Um, So this one is a coin flip for me. I could see this going either way. And I think it might have more to do with the situation and the approach of the various franchises than it does, um, you know, the individual talent level and production of the players. So this is a hard one. Um, I would not begrudge anyone for taking either of those, those bets. If Cade ends up scoring fewer points than Jalen Green, we'll say hypothetically, we'll say Jalen Green averages an even 20 points a game and Cade averages like an even 17 points a game. Um, but the Pistons win, you know, four or five more games than the Rockets. The Pistons win, you know, 28 games and the Rockets win like 23 games. Do you think that would play a factor at all into rookie of the year voting? Do you think, do you think uh, team wins kind of or team success or, or how far the rookie is perceived as like bringing the team forward? You know, what kind of role do you think that plays in rookie of the year voting? I don't know if the difference of three or four games makes moves the needle, but I will say, I think the, the one thing that might work out in Cade's, well, there's two things I think that could work in Cade's favor here. The first one is if he ends up with the ball in his hands quite a bit and ends up uh, with a lot of assists, I think that could help his case, right? Like, you know, if Jalen Green averages, you know, 20 points and three assists or something in Cade's at seven and six, like that might matter. And then I think the other thing that could matter is, I would not be at all surprised to see Cade really come to his own over the last 40 games of the season and look like a much more impactful player in games, let's say 50 through 82 than he did in one through 50. And I I think that could impact things as well. Um, And the reason I say that is, again, we've talked about how he might ease his way into his rookie season. So if he really closes strong, uh, I could see that mattering too. That's a good call. All right. Um, plus 250 is not bad, like odds. Um, and obviously, like if you're a Pistons fan, I think this is probably this is probably going to be like the favorite bet of Pistons fans <laughs> yeah. this season is, is K to win rookie of the year. All right. Next uh, next bet we have is Isaiah Stewart. I was <laughs> I'm, I'm like hunting the little like fan duel uh, things for, for, for the little uh, NBA props for Pistons players. And I found one that I thought was like, okay, this is like, this is pretty funny. I got to put this one in here. Isaiah Stewart plus 8,000 to win most improved player. <laughs> ben, you could bet a hundred bucks on Isaiah Stewart to win uh most improved player and you could win $8,000. That's like, that's nice. That's a nice chunk of change. Is yeah. That a good I mean, bet in your mind? you Venmo me the money and I'll make that bet. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's about how I feel about that one. You don't, you don't like uh, Stewart's chances at most improved? I think I'd like a $5 bet on Isaiah Stewart a lot more than a $100 bet. Let's put it that way. That's fair. 
it is kind of like when we are talking about like rookie of the year uh, or award criteria, it does also seem like a huge jump in scoring is what gives people the idea that a guy has been, uh, has done a lot of improvement. Um, and I don't foresee a huge jump in scoring uh, for Stewart this year. He should score more points, but it won't be dramatic in the way that uh, I think most improved players uh, normally see. All right, Ben, uh, next bet is a little better odds. It's Kelly Olenek at plus 5,500 to win sixth man of the year. What do you think of that bet, Ben? So interestingly, I think if we look at the second unit and we talk about potentially seeing Diallo and Josh Jackson out there at the same time, someone is going to need to make some buckets in that second (laughs) unit. Like somebody's got to score the ball. So that's actually not crazy, right? Like, I mean, he put on a show for Houston to close out the season a year ago. He can score the ball. And, um, you know, I think he does enough other stuff competently that, you know, he, he could surprise all of us by scoring a lot more than we expect. Because, again, I just don't think that second unit's going to have a lot of playmaking and scoring on it. So that that's not insane to put down a little money on Kelly Olenek. No, I, I agree. And one thing that I would also consider um, when thinking about Kelly Olenek's sixth man of the year candidacy is that the the guys who stereotypically get considered for this award come off the bench but also finish games, yeah, right? Yep. And I think that there's a good chance that if the Pistons are in position to win some of these games uh, later in the year or, or early in the year, um, that Olenek is given the role of kind of being on the floor and helping to space the floor and, and doing his Kelly Olenek things. And so I think that if the Pistons like find some measure of success uh, in some close games and Olenek is out there, you know, with a crazy, you know, clutch scoring or, um, you know, he and Cade form like an unstoppable crunch time uh, duo when the Pistons actually manage to make it to crunch time. I think that like that holds some intrigue. Um, as a uh, as a potential like six man of the year finish, it'd be a tough a tough road ahead. Like I think there are like again, this is another this is another award which just like the dude who scores the most points off the bench normally wins it. Um, I think like Jordan Clarkson, the the reigning six man of the year, uh, is like the in the same like Lou Williams uh, mold, Jamal Crawford, uh, Lou Williams mold of like guy who just scores eighteen a night off the bench. Uh, and wins the award, but uh, you know there's a there's a decent situation, a, a decent chance that like Kelly Olynyk could kind of sneak into the voting uh, for this one. All right, Ben. The next award is Hamadou Diallo plus ten thousand to win Sixth Man of the Year. Ben, if Hami shoots like thirty eight percent from three, <laughs> this could totally happen, right? Well, could we just change this to like? Pistons sixth man like doesn't he have to be the sixth man before he can win the award like I'm not even sure he's that right true yeah I don't know I don't I'm not I'm not gonna put any money on this one um for those of you thinking about it you just donate to my kids college fund instead it'll it'll be better served that way this is uh my my I don't get my zeros great all the time but if you put like a dollar on this you'd win like what a hundred bucks it's like okay I'd put a dollar on that why not yeah all right, Ben. Uh, next over under is the Pistons wins on the season. The over under is twenty three and a half. The over is at uh, minus one twenty two, which means if you you'd have to bet 
$122 to win $100 on the over. And the under is plus 100, which is like, you know, normal. Uh, would you find yourself betting over or under on 23 and a half for season wins for the Pistons? So as a not experienced better, the over under stuff always confuses me, but I will be, I will be pretty surprised if the Pistons don't win more than 23 and a half games. That feels really low to me. No, I, I agree. And I think that's why the over is minus 122. Yeah. It's just, just enough doubt in uh, people's minds. And you, you don't see the under at like, like plus 200, right? There's no one's, uh, no one's betting the under so much or no one's uh, against the under so much that it, it's like it's starting to get out of whack. But I agree that 23 and a half is a lower number than I expected to see. What would that number have to be for you, Ben, for you to be like, ooh, maybe I should start looking at the under? Hmm. It would have to be really big. I mean, I, I feel like the only way they get there, like they don't, they don't manage to win 24 games is if they have like a catastrophic injury. And I just, I don't know. I, like I said, I'm not much of a bet, a sports better, but I just, I don't know. I can't find I should, myself I, betting, my betting yeah. on that happening to my own team. Like I feel like karma would get me. <laughs> I feel like I, I, it's my bad. I said number and like we were talking about a lot of numbers. I didn't specify which number. I meant the over under itself. Like if the over under was like 27 and a half. Oh, I got you. Yeah. It's like what, what, what would the over under uh, itself have to be? Like if it was 27 and a half, would you still feel confident in the over? I, I lean toward this team being a, a 30 win team. That's about where I put them. So. Yeah, I mean, again, I, I think it would take it would take something going pretty wrong for them not to get to 30 wins in a regular 82-game season. Uh, they have more talent than that. So, yeah, I mean, if, if, if betting the over around 27 wins, you know, was, was better than these odds, then maybe I'm a, maybe I'm a betting man, Laz. Because I just, I, I just don't think they're this bad. I think people are... Uh, looking at the way they closed the season and forgetting that they tried to lose. And I, <laughs> I just don't see that. I, I, I just don't see that happening this season. No, that that's a great point. Um, okay. I, I also really like the over on this. Um, the over also being minus one twenty or yeah, minus one twenty two. It's like not terrible value, right? Like if, is if you feel really confident in that the over is going to hit, I wouldn't mind putting some money on, on the over. If the over gets to like plus one hundred and fifty, it's like that's a, a bit much. Okay, guys, or a minus one fifty. Sorry. Uh, that, yeah, yeah. So I would, if it were legal in my state, I would put some money on the Pistons over, but it's not. So you can, if you Venmo, I can Venmo you some money, Ben, and you can, <laughs> you can make me, you can make me rich at the end of the season. All right, Ben, uh, the last bet we have on FanDuel is the Pistons at plus 2,400 to make the play-in tournament at plus 1,800 to make the playoffs. How lucky do you feel, Ben? <laughs> Nowhere near that lucky. I just don't, <laughs> I don't think they're that good. 
I would, I would, if I were a betting man, I would be betting the over before I'd be even contemplating anything about the play-in or the playoffs proper. Because uh, I think, I think Vegas or Detroit, I guess you could say, wherever this sports book is housed, they they have this part of it right. I think. Yeah, the Pistons missing the playoffs is at minus eight thousand, which means. You would have to bet $8,000 to win $100 on a bet about the Pistons not making the playoffs. That's crazy. So don't do that. Don't do that. (laughs) Uh, All right, Ben, I got some more numbers, but these aren't bets. But these are things I personally am curious about. Um, The Pistons were 26th in offensive rating last season with an offensive rating of 107.6. Do you think they beat? Either of those numbers. Do you think they're better? The offensive rating numerically is better than 107.6. And do you think that they are better than the 26th ranked offense in the NBA this season? I think so. Um, Again, I think the last 20-ish games of the season uh, really impacted some of those overall season team-level stats. Um, Again, something went catastrophically wrong if – they're at a 107.6 by the the end of this current season. I expect them to be much more interesting to watch offensively, and I think much more productive as well. Um, the second unit's a big question mark, but I think in the starting lineup, they've got a lot of versatility and, and interesting scoring capabilities. Um, I think turnovers are probably going to be the limiting factor this year, uh, but I think they'll be quite a bit better at putting the ball in the basket. What would you say would be a good rank for what it would like, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, ranks among teams in the NBA, what, where do you think they end the season uh, in terms of offensive rating? Do you think they end up like a top 20 offense top? uh, We think if they're, we think they're going to be better than 26 top 25 is probably too low. Do you think they end up a top 20 offense? I think, I think 20, somewhere between 20 to 25 is probably most realistic. If they could crack the top 20, I think that means that, that Cade Cunningham was a, a very, very good player and is probably a little bit ahead of schedule. Um, there, Having said that, there are some really bad teams out there still. Um, <laughs> it's just a question of, you know, are there going to be five or six really, really bad teams that it's real easy for the Pistons to, to leapfrog? Um, or there's going to be a few. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think if, if they could finish 21, 22, I, I personally, I think I would count that as success any higher than that. I mean, that would just be fantastic. All right, Ben, uh, next the, the defensive rating, uh, last year, the Pistons finished with a defensive rating of 112.2. That was 19th in the NBA. Uh, do you think they end up better than either of those numbers will they remain a top 20 defense ben yeah good another good question and i'm not letting you off the hook you have to answer both these two i think there's there's less room for improvement here um but i i do think i don't think it's crazy to think they could have sort of an average nba defense right so it, it wouldn't it would not floor me to see that number creep up a little bit as well um, that second unit, again, I think is the wild card. And, and the reason why 
is I think there's there's going to be nights, I think, where the second unit is really going to struggle offensively. And mm-hmm. when you really struggle offensively, it just naturally impacts your defense, right? Because you're you're missing more shots and or you're turning the ball over, right? And both of those things lead to high percentage looks in transition for your for your opponent. So a bad offense can feed a bad defense. And I think we'll see that from the starting lineup as well on some nights. I think when you've got two really young ball handlers who are going to have the ball a lot, which is what we're expecting, you know, they're going to have some growing pains and some struggles too. So those that's why I said before I expect the shooting numbers to be better than a season ago, but I, I think turnovers could potentially be the limiting factor there. So defensively, I also anticipate some improvement because I don't anticipate we're going to be actively throwing games over the last 20. (laughs) Um, But I I think the offense has a more room to grow, right? Like I I think the ceiling is a little higher on offense. I wouldn't be surprised if the, uh, the number on the defensive rating, if they had, if they had a defensive rating higher, than 112.2 but they remained kind of in this in a similar range uh, in terms of rank among NBA teams Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they had like a a 114 defensive rating or or not not a 114 like a 113.1 right not a full point worse but like in that neighborhood but I also wouldn't be surprised if that was like 22nd instead of you know the steep drop a full point defensive rating might might normally necess- necessitate um offenses around the league continue to get better um i think with the with the emphasis in the offseason on cracking down on like some of the offensive foul drawing stuff mm, yeah I, I you know i do think offenses might start the season slow but um the Things have just been so tilted in the direction of good offenses for the last, you know, decade or so of NBA basketball that it, it wouldn't be surprising if that uh, Pistons were a, a still a good defensive team, still like a top twenty defensive team, but that that number kept inching uh, higher and higher as as offenses get better. Um, and I will circle back around. I will give you an answer on the offensive rating. Um, I th- it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me as well if they were a better offensive team. Um, but only because like 26th is really low, <laughs> right? Um, it, I would see them being perhaps like the 23rd or 22nd best offensive team in the league. Still not top 20. Um, it's a lot of trust to place in, you know, again, a starting lineup of one rookie and three second year players to, to consistently uh, manage offense night in, night out. Um, but I do think, like you said, they're not going to be tanking nearly as hard. And I imagine that that will uh, prove out that they will have better uh, offensive numbers at the end of the year. Oop. All right, Ben. Uh, I think I'm getting like a flash flood warning, which I'm going to safely ignore and hope it doesn't show up <laughs> Man, on the out. podcast. Uh, that's that's everything I had. Um, what, what did you want to what do you want to discuss to close the pod? You know, Les, I have not been this excited about a preseason. I I don't know the like 2000, hmm, probably like 2005, 2006, like somewhere in that range is the last time I was really excited for a preseason. Um, you know, I think back to when I was just a kid and the Pistons selected Grant Hill. And I just remember being overjoyed about that. I remember 
you know, getting my dad to buy me the teal jersey. And I think it was the red, white, and blue filas that um, Grant Hill wore in his, his early career. And I just remember being so, so thrilled <laughs> that the Pistons drafted somebody who could change the franchise. I don't know that Cade Cunningham is as good as Grant Hill was. Time will tell. But um, I feel a little bit of that boyhood excitement in my late 30s going into this season, which, you know, it's, it's just such a refreshing approach. Um, there's just there's so much optimism around this team in the fan base. You can see it everywhere you go. Uh, and I, th- I think that the optimism is is justified. And I, I'm just really just genuinely excited <laughs> about the Pistons and excited to be excited. Like, I'm, I'm glad the Pistons have a, a real and viable path back to relevance and back to being competitive. And I, I'm just really, really looking forward to it. Um, and I, I'm looking forward to being, you know, potentially wowed by some of the moments that we all hope to see happen in this upcoming season. You know, I, I've tended to look at basketball in my <laughs> adult life a lot through the lens of statistics and analytics and those sorts of things. But, you know, the Pistons have a guy who I think can potentially just be one of those wow moment kind of, kind of players. And I'm looking forward to all of that. So, you know, to the community of uh, folks who we interact with at the website, the people who listen to the podcast, the people we, we talk about, basketball with on Twitter like there's just going to be so much fun to be had this season I think and I'm just I'm just really looking forward to it and it starts Wednesday my friend it starts Wednesday so so I'm 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 geeked I'm excited about this well said well said Ben uh I won't even try and follow that up that was just really (laughs) that was really good man thank you all right uh let the people know where they can find uh more soliloquies like that (laughs) well if it's soliloquies um I I expect to be doing those on Twitter um, you can find me, I hope, this season as my children age, contributing and writing a little bit, DetroitBadVice.com, Twitter at BRGulker. And, uh, yeah, let's have some fun this year. Let, let's make it a good season. I I think this is going to be fun. I also can't wait to have fun this season. And uh, you and I can have fun together Absolutely. if you follow me on Twitter at Last Chance. That's at L-A-Z-C-H-A-N-C-E. We can also have fun if you comment in the podcast threads, which uh, tend to be pretty fun um, as opposed to some of the comments uh, elsewhere on uh, the on some of the other uh, pieces. So sometimes it's a, little, it's a little bit more analytical, a little more dispassionate on the podcast threads. We can have some fun. Appreciate it, guys. Uh, this has been the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. Thank you for listening. Have a good season. Enjoy the preseason. And we will talk to you guys next week. See you.